the pen ultimate. Oh, I love it when people laugh when I do that. Uh, <laughs> you never like I, I I used to I do it for my uh, the Facebook Live recaps I've been doing for years, so I just like naturally crossed over. But it's the penultimate season, uh, penultimate episode of Game of Thrones' eighth season. And boy, did I butcher that opening. But we have a lot of uh, <laughs> things to talk about because <laughs> we're all in a lot of sorts. Well, I mean, that's that's the like the state of King's Landing. This podcast is apparently in shambles, but we have a great group of guests <laughs> here to talk about all of the uh, interesting things that happened. So why don't we go ahead and introduce our guests um, who have picked in order of who wants to go last and then work their way backwards. <laughs> Hi, my name is Clinton Woods. Uh, I am a, an attorney. Uh, I'm also the author of laws and ice and You can find me on Twitter at, um, Westeros law, also Clint W. And I'm excited to be here. I'll go next. Oh, awesome. oh uh, you? hi. Oh, okay, Sam. Oh, God. We had this all worked was, out. I know. We I'm did. Sorry. We did it. We <laughs> it was quiet for a moment and I got nervous. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm Sam Adolfo. I um, am a full time clinical mental health counseling student. Um, also, jokingly referred to as a professional Game of Thrones fan. Um, I have lent my voice to Viserion, our favorite undead, terrible dragon child, and a, an even worse screaming upper <laughs> child. So I have a scream that is a nightmare. Um, you can find me on Instagram at kind of cool sometimes or um, Twitter at kind of underscore cool. Sam, why did your voices always die? <laughs> I know. <laughs> we can get into that later. I think Paula secretly uh, hates me. Well, yeah. 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 Uh, my name is Thomas Hankins. I am, like Sam, I am a student, uh, and I'm a theologian who studies um, culture and spirituality and the arts. And you can find me at uh, thankin41 on Twitter. Awesome. So I think the logical place to start would be with everybody's favorite conniving <laughs> eunuch who was sending notes in the back of the class when I the teacher, a.k.a. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, when 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 Grey Worm came in and caught him passing notes, and he got detention <laughs> forever. Yeah, forever. That was he got a life life sentence yes. in detention. That was like an in school uh, suspension kind of deal. It was. He never gets to leave. Uh, he never gets to graduate from Dragonstone and serve another king. I mean. Or queen, and it was it was interesting that he brought up all the kings and queens he served because that kind of begs the question: Did Vari serve any of them well, or did he just kind of look out for himself? I think that's a great question, and I, I think that um, the way that this scene kind of progressed, I really enjoyed um, from a, a sort of Varys fan perspective. I published something on lawsoficeandfire.com last week about Varys' riddle, which is my absolute favorite part of A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, and if you look at, you know, what your your question from Ver the perspective of Varys' riddle, um, I, I think he would argue that he is doing his best mm -hmm. for the realm, um, regardless of who he is supporting. And the fact that he might support a particular king or work for a particular king doesn't obviate his... Um, 
duties to the realm, his sort of fiduciary duties to the realm, uh, which are higher than any kind of like employment duties he might have for, to a particular monarch. And so I think that, you know, the way that this scene uh, showed uh, him sort of thinking that John was a better representative of the realm and passing those notes and writing those letters, who knows who got those letters or how many of them got out. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think that he, uh, it was consistent with his character. I, you know, liked how Tyrion ratted him out. I think thought that was consistent with Tyrion's character. I thought the little interaction between the two of them was, um, heartfelt. And I, I, I just really liked that, that intro. I thought it was, um, right on for, all three of the major characters that were involved, Ferris, Tyrion, and Dan. I agree. I also love that as soon as he heard footsteps, he knew what was happening. And he just started taking off his rings and was like, yeah. well, it yes. is my yes. fucking time. Uh, and that Grey Worm had chains for him. It was very new for Danny. Like, if you're going to get burned alive is taking off <laughs> rings, like I think that you yeah. do. <laughs> I was like, thinking about I didn't, that. I didn't, yeah, I don't, don't know why that was... Like, it was... In, emotional moment but i was like is, am i missing a, i think he like, wanted them to go to his adoptive yeah. son Tyrion. Yeah. <laughs> it is you know people have wondered i i guess more for the books if varies is a secret blackfire because he's backing the fake aegon well Fagon, we don't know if he's fake or not uh targaryen in the books um the rings it, it varies has such an interesting history that it's you know, we we know so little of his story, and he his sort of his his element of grooming, like how how he would cover himself in powders and fragrances, and he had very nice clothes. And Tyrion had actually been to his quarter. Actually, Tyrion wasn't Varys' quarters used for Tyrion to rendezvous with Shay in the books for a little fun time. Yes, I think they so. They got killed. I think that is right. Yeah. So. It was just it was interesting to see something of Varys's personal effects because he's sort of a drifter and a spy master, and for him to get sentimental and say, you know, goodbye, old friend. Uh, I, I've always loved Varys. I was sad. Uh, my mother actually te- texted me earlier and said, "Make sure you talk about the rings." So I'm glad we got that out of uh, glad we. If there's any ring theory that anybody has, I would, uh, you know, please share. It's his the one ring of power that he took off. Yeah. The one yeah. ring of power. They're the rings that give him his mermaid that. powers. Exactly. Exactly. Blackfire mermaid. Uh, hey, sorry, to answer your initial question, Ian, which was really great, critical, <laughs> scholarly question. You just ruined. Um, <laughs> I think, I think Ferris, you know, to ask if he has served kings well, that it depends on you can turn that jewel as many ways as you want. Right. Like I think he would say that he has served them well. And I think he would say he could have served them even better if they had listened to him. Right. And I'm, I, I think that I would under, I, I kind of sympathize with his, what would be his argument there. I think, um, because all of those rulers are not ruling anymore. Not necessarily, but just because Barris killed, like assassinated them for like malintent. Um, had they been good rulers, there's a good chance that they would still be ruling. Um, 
So it's it's definitely an interesting kind of theoretical question. Yeah, there's a there's a Stannis Baratheon quote from A Storm of Swords I mentioned in my recap where he said, Sir Barristan always said that uh, King Aerys court, the, the rot began with Varys, the eunuch should never have been pardoned. Uh, it's it's just interesting because in in the whole point behind like a representative <laughs> democracy, and we're going to get into balkanization obviously uh, later because I mean it, it really uh, I, yeah. more on that in a bit because I think that plays a key role in in how this episode shaped up later. But to to get back to Varys, the the key role of the key point of a representative big democracy, a big place like a Congress, would be. So one person, even if they're acting in the best of intentions, most philosophy kind of acknowledges that best intentions sometimes aren't enough. You need sort of checks on that because I think regardless of whether or not you accept Varys' intentions as good, the way he was going about it from a position of Daenerys' advisor, uh, you know, there's other ways he could influence change. And I, I don't think... Uh, maybe it's a product of the shortened season, but um, I didn't agree with him. I found myself siding a lot in this episode with, I know people have been very upset at the way Daenerys has been framed. I don't really blame her for mm-hmm. a lot of what she did. I think that she's got dealt a really, you know, poor hand by a lot of these people. She feels alone and isolated. She told him. Um, I, I don't blame her. I certainly don't blame her for killing Varys. No, I, I it, yeah, she absolutely did. She told him that that would what would happen yeah and so what you pointed out i think ian is a is a really good point that his first response to um him having second thoughts mm-hmm. with daenerys was to assassinate her or attempt to assassinate her um which is not really the, that, yeah that says a lot right it, <laughs> it's not really the, the sort of checks and balances that uh, Madison was talking about in Federalist f- 51, where he's, you know, ambition has to counteract ambition. He just like straight up tried to murder her. And that's, you know, frowned upon within an executive, uh, you know, um, people don't tend to like that. This is a podcast about a fantasy show. And no, that was I, the nerdiest I, shit that's ever happened. Oh, no, our, our second episode yeah. was impeachment. Clint's, Clint's totally, we, we quoted the Federalist, uh, Federalist before. Absolutely. Um, but I think that. Yeah, I mean, like, there are other options that he could have had. He could have, I don't know, gone to find this, you know, swarthy Dornish princess, or prince, excuse me, um, and, you know, raised an army there, like, tried to, like, work outside um, this sort of battle, or work outside the administration, if you will, um, you know, become a free agent, all sorts of different things, but instead he went straight for assassination. You know, As we learned at the end of this episode, the way to get along with folks. <laughs> I, I don't know if they wanted that to be like foreshadowing for the the what would come later in the episode, but um, it. I mean, it definitely makes you just. It, I, I I haven't wanted to sort of think too much on the the notion that you know what what would be different if there were ten episodes instead of six. We have you know we have ten. I mean, we have six. That's kind of the way it is, and. The, the the arc of Danny, they needed to kind of condense her sort of the Breaking Bad version of Danny, her heel turn for professional wrestling. I wish that Danny had taken a look back at where she was last season, where she had House Martell, she had the person who now controls House Greyjoy, and she had, you know, presumably still some support in the Reach or something, 
And her problem was really more of a northern one than a Westerosi one. So it, it's just a, it's an interesting dynamic. I actually think, think that she was considering those things. I mean, I know we aren't there yet, but her conversation with John as well, where she said, you know, that. Oh, no, let's let's, let's go there. Yeah, let's yeah. let's do it. Let's go right in. I actually wrote it all out because it. I think that it said a lot about her decisions throughout the course of the episode where she says, you know, far more people in Westeros love you than love me. I don't have love here. I only have fear. Um, And I think that she's realizing that, that of course she's wounded. She's lost not only the people who are closest to her now, it's just her and Drogon, but you know, she has lost, they don't, I mean, even the, the wildlings went back, or I'm sorry, the free folk went back North. Um, But she had a much greater army, a much greater chance. And those have all been picked off. And not only that, the people, uh, you know, the, the people don't care for her. They're afraid of her. Um, they they don't see her as a, a good ruler in the same way that, you know, the, the Dothraki and the Unsullied and, and all of them do. Um, she's faced a lot, a lot of criticism where John is naturally accepted. Um, and I feel like this conversation, I I said this earlier to a friend that I, I almost feel like this was her way of of asking if because she said, you know, when once he said that she was his queen, she asked if that was all that she was. And that was when she made her sweet, sweet makeout move that didn't go well. Um, but I I almost I know, right? I almost felt like that was her way of asking if if he wanted to like make it official. Then, you know, am I am I just your queen um in the in the traditional sense, or like can I can I be your queen? Um, but, but my read on that is that John is still thinking about their relationship. The fact that she's technically his aunt, even though he hasn't said it. Um, but I, I think that, you know, being alone, having experiencing all of these losses, you know, having less support, um, it, I think that it all culminated in, in what we saw for the rest of it. But this conversation I feel like was, was huge. Sorry for the rant. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I do think that it's huge. No, it was a good rant. No, no, I agree with it. I think that, you know, I don't really have a whole lot more to add. I thought that, you know, their motivations, both of their motivations were pretty clear in that and, or that interaction, um, and came through, you know, John has got a lot going on, um, in his head and, you know, Danny is really, really feeling insecure and feeling like she needs to make to shore things up and he's unable to offer her that security at this point, which only, you know, contributes to her insecurity, pushes her farther away or farther into the, the, the heel turn, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was probably best highlighted, especially in that scene by when she talked to Grey Worm and I forget exactly what language that would have been off the top of my head, but just here. Yeah. So here she is in Westeros. I mean, granted Dragonstone, but She's trying to she's saying about how the people in Westeros don't love me and she's communicating to her, you know, chief general in a foreign language. So and I don't blame her for doing that. Obviously, that's a a part of who she is, regardless, you know, of where she's been and what what's happened to her in her life. But it was definitely an interesting contrast and 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 a choice that I thought it really resonated with me. Yeah. Can I ask a question uh, based on Sam's rant? Um, 
do other than I, which I like. I like the same three, and I'm inclined to agree with a lot of it. <laughs> she called it early. So. Look, I'm the Danny of this um, podcast now. This is all mine. Yeah. Um, sure. Burn it down. Um, do it other than like needing to end the show, which like, like what is Daenerys's hurry? Like she said that she, that the people don't love her, which I get, but also like, is there, what is it that is keeping her from like establishing a government for six months and engendering some love of the people and then like trying to attack King's Landing? Uh, huh. it, I don't know. I've, uh, I've been thinking about that all day, and I wanted to hear what Clint had to say about it because it, it that to me seems like the the riddle at play, right? Like if power rests where people decide power rest, then you can go make people decide power rest with you, right? This is this is a country that's in shambles Absolutely. right now, right? They're probably lacking infrastructure, lacking food, you know, all sorts of stuff. Like if you go set that up. People are I feel like she's answered. And yeah, I, I think that you're. I I sorry. I I think that you're absolutely right, and I think that um, that is a really great question. I, my hunch is that her response would be, um, I don't know about two or threefold. First, um, she's not sure how much longer she's going to have the coalition that she has, right? Um, the, she yeah. has to worry about basically feeding this sort of standing army, which back in the middle ages or, or whatever you would call what this is, that this time is like feeding a standing army or, or having a standing army is next to impossible because you've got to basically keep them moving to live off the land. You can't just have them camped or else they're all going to disperse. But secondly, from her perspective, like it's power is right there for her to grab. Um, you know, as we saw in the episode, she can go and take King's Landing without, um, I mean, she didn't have to burn everything, but she can take it. Um, she can defeat Cersei in the field. And so every minute that she, um, in her mind's wastes or, or every minute that she, she waits, um, is a minute that Cersei can be reinforced is a minute that certain perhaps Cersei can get away, all sorts of different things. Um, that leads to the uncertainty of of the decision that she's making. And from her perspective, from Danny's perspective, I, it seems like, you know, it, power is right there. What she's wanted her entire life is right there. Um, and she can take it now and there will be costs, but, or she can wait and maybe it's there to be for the taking in six months. Maybe the people come around. Um, maybe Maybe we're able to keep these armies together, but maybe not. Well, I just just to respond quickly to what uh, Clint said was, you know, not only not only does is time not really on her side from a supply side, she's also seen that Cersei gets a lot more powerful right. when she waits. She already knew she already is angry at Tyrion for telling her to wait. Uh, she thinks she's getting bad advice, and you know, I I kind of agree with her that now's the moment to attack. I mean, there's cert certain Maybe not last episode when they were on the battlefield before John had arrived, but I think I think seeing the technology that took her last dragon down, there is definitely a sense of her. But she get but Cersei gets more powerful within the walls of King's Landing, 
which is not the whole realm. Yeah. Right. No, that's true. Right. So I, it, yeah, I actually, it's, it's interesting. Go ahead, Sam. Sorry. You've been wanting to talk No, I actually you. don't. <laughs> no, it's okay. I actually don't think it has a lot to do with Cersei. Um, I think that she's kind of, I, I feel like she sort of answered that um, by saying that the people don't love her. They love John. Yeah. They don't want her in that position. They want John there. And she knows that regardless of what he wants, which is to not rule because that sounds exhausting, um, that it's what the people are going to want. And he typically does what the people push him into doing historically, despite not wanting, um, you know, these advances and job titles, he, he continues to get them because it's what the people deem best. So I think that she has seen how the people flock to him and love him in a very genuine way um, and is afraid that with his newfound title, um, they're going to, they're going to really push for him. Um, and I think at the same time, it's, it's spending, you know, this, this bit of time in Winterfell and seeing that she as a Targaryen isn't accepted. She's continually like compared to her father. Uh, you know, we had Tormund who, despite the fact that he also rode a dragon, said it was something that only madmen do. There's this continual push of her being an outsider. And I think that, you know, she recognizes that people are afraid of her. And so she says that, like, let it be fear. Sort of like, well, this is what you wanted, so I'm going to give it to you. And if you want to be afraid of me, I'll give you a reason to be afraid, is kind of how I took that. Like, she doesn't have the time because she knows that it's going to change. And if she's not going to rule by allowing the people to love her, she's going to make them afraid of her. Because that's the self-fulfilling prophecy that they've they've kind of given her. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, You're right, Sam. Should we move? Should we pivot? Well, I think there. I, oh, before we pivot to the battle, I, I one of my like favorite sort of little tidbits that this episode highlighted that it's a really sort of small touch, but I, I really appreciated it. Were the two scenes you had the one of Arya with the Hound where they're stopped by the random guard, and then Tyrion with the Unsullied when he was going up to rescue Jamie. For me, some of my favorite just like like sort of setting the stage scenes for the show were in seasons, well, I guess late in season one and then two and three when you had Rob Stark and you had all of his war council and you could really kind of see the North in the flesh. The Lannister army, especially in toward the end of season one where Tywin makes his introduction, was just so powerful because you could just see the magnitude of the army and I just loved that they're giving lines to these characters we'll never see again, because we can kind of, in all of the scenes where you've got all the major players, it's easy to forget that how many lives are at stake. And this episode in particular was so great at highlighting that, um, you know, Varys, I, I'm not sure if he said it in the books, but he definitely said, uh, in the show, but he definitely said in the books, you know, when you play your Game of Thrones, it's the people who suffer. Right. This episode was really yeah. about that. I, I, I thought it was really powerful in that regard. Yeah, I, I think that's totally true. I think, um, which is kind of I, maybe part of what I was trying to get at with the question is, maybe there's a lot of ruling that could be done for the people in, in between the battle at Winterfell and the battle at King's Landing, right? And it's just interesting that that didn't happen from the mouth of someone who 
decided to stay in the city and said, like, I will rule, you know, like emphatically. She doesn't, it doesn't seem like she wants to do a lot of ruling. She wants to do a lot of conquering in Westeros. Um, but not much ruling, at least to me, from my reading. Yeah, no, winning is easy. Governing's hard, as the great sage uh, George Washington said in, in Alexander or in Hamilton, the musical. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. The 50 second. That's right. Really. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. Um, and I, I also really appreciated, and I think, you know, we're getting a little, again, a little bit ahead of ourselves. I really appreciated how, um, much of this episode was told from the, perspective of the small folk you know this is what they're about or the, what you know this game of thrones is supposed to be about is like you know the best thing for the small folk and we saw you know some really horrifying images of, of how it affects them um which obviously is a big part of the books but doesn't come through in the show quite as much what did what was y'all's take on the jamie Tyrion tent scene it was a tender moment uh you know, you could see, especially the tears in the actor's eyes, you could tell were probably fairly genuine and not it, it, just sort of a moment to reflect on how far they've gone, especially not just in the, the eight seasons of the show, but just their lives. Tyrion acknowledging that Jamie was really the only person who treated him like a human. Um, it was it was powerful. I I at that at that moment, I knew that Jamie was a goner and that maybe Tyrion was, too. And I, I just thought it was a very powerful and I, I, I teared up a little bit, maybe not as much as when Kyburn <laughs> did it, but, uh, I was openly weeping. I was a mess. And I said, like, through sobs, they're never going to see each other again. <laughs> it was like a mess. I thought it was really beautiful. Oh, I said the <laughs> same thing when the Clegane brothers died. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really liked it. I thought that the it was a great callback to, um, first of all, you know that all of the times that both Jamie and Tyrion have been locked somewhere and had great conversations while somebody was in chains. You know, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that's a really good point. It's, it like happens, you know, once every other season for the most part. Um, but it, so, like, it was a nice to hit that note again, just as sort of a uh, a goodbye, like here. Here's some Lannister boy in a dungeon. Enjoy. Um, I, I, you know, I appreciated that Tyrion was doing his best to save Jamie, and you know, he even says, you know, that basically the um, uh, shoe is on the other foot now. Um, I'm going to try and save you. Uh, it, it seemed very implausible, you know, his idea. But I guess you know a lot of things that are pretty implausible. Um, actually work out in this universe so who knows maybe it would have worked um but yeah i I liked that scene you know some of the dialogue was cheesy but you know it's game of thrones we're in the end game yeah you know dick jokes and yeah i like that too now so um or or not dick jokes i guess right um the uh i liked it too jamie's redemption arc being my favorite arc in in the series full stop um i like the idea that redemption is not um easy or clear or uh one you know like always headed in one direction it's ups and downs 
um, you know, uh, that that line as a Jamie Stan, that line did. I was like, eh. But when they started, when they hugged each other and started crying, that was definitely the most like impactful moment of that episode for me. So yeah, when, I enjoyed when it. you say they hugged each other, who do you mean? Tyrion and Jamie. Okay. Sorry. Also, when which line are you specifically done. referring Understood. to? Are you about to? Is, oh, is that what you were referring to? Innocent people, me, Sam. Yeah. It isn't. <laughs> yeah, that that's what I'm. That's what I meant. Is that like I that that part of being a fan of Jamie and his redemption arc to me is he actually didn't want to see all of these innocent people die, right? And it's a good facade to put up, but when it came time to it, he actually did a thing that protected a bunch of innocent people and then like he he made the choice to go north to fight for the army of the living which is essentially protecting even more innocent people and then is so like literally just that one line didn't seem consistent to me with where he was at I get wanting to come back and be with the woman that you have loved your whole life even if it's kind of a messed up relationship like, I get that, but that one line seems... I don't see that as what happened, though. Like, I still don't believe that Jamie just went to King's Landing to be with Cersei um, and left Brienne because he wasn't into it. Uh, it still feels right to me that Jamie, you know, left Brienne the way that he did because he didn't want her to follow. He kind of knew he was going on a suicide mission and that... I didn't take the the kind of innocent people, I never cared much for them line, to be sincere. I thought it was just him being a smart ass or like whatever to Tyrion in the way that they usually are kind of like dark and, and whatever about things. And the line about coming back to die with Cersei, I, I think it was because he knew that whatever happened, he likely wouldn't make it out alive. The last time he saw Cersei, she... Uh, you know, almost had the mountain kill him. She sent Braun to potentially execute him. I think that if he was going even to try to like reason with Cersei and get her to, um, to stop that he, he likely didn't believe he was going to make it out alive. So I didn't take it as like, I'm here to be with this woman that I love, you know, this is going to be great. Yeah. No, I think no, some people no, are I taking it like that, either. which I find really yeah. interesting. No, I, I very much agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I I very much agree with you. Um, in that he what but to whatever ends he was going there, I agree that I, I think he knew he wasn't gonna get out of it clean. Uh and I also think he knew that it what like it's an unhealthy thing and he was going to try and do his best to get the best outcome yeah. for the most people out of it. Yeah. Um but he no, but I think like some people back. are really going with that. Like they really think that, you know, Jamie just went back to be with Cersei, which I think is really wild. I think that when he saw her and the state that she was in, that, you know, his his hatred, uh, you know, kind of faded and he comforted her. But he knew that they weren't going to get out alive. You know, there was no way at that point. Yeah, that was a very, um, well, I guess we should probably segue into the battle because sure. uh, there's so much of it. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> ring the bells. The bells. That, that, that was actually probably the best place to start. 
Um, the Bells, which if you're a book fan, uh, really goes back to the Battle of the Bells with uh, John Connington. You know, of all the John Connington storylines to adapt for a while, the, the only one that the show had picked up was the uh, skin rash that Ser Jorah had gotten. Um, so it was interesting to... Grey skin? Yes. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I tried to say it like that <laughs> so that I wouldn't... Take the, I wouldn't take my own bait and go after it, make Sir Jorah jokes, but um, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying not to say anything. Somebody, ah, do you think you have to avoid? Oh, well, never mind. He got you. I was about to say, should you avoid touching his ashes? Like you think that? Well, go go speed on them. So right. Her, yeah, her, maybe that canceled out. Yeah, <laughs> go, direwolf urine is a natural disinfectant for grayscale. Sam Sam read that at the <laughs> Citadel. I did not. <laughs> no, Sam, well, not you. <laughs> I know, I'm kidding. It's not always about you, Sam. <laughs> but uh, glad to know you endorsed that method. And, you know, we got a, we got a great Sir Jorah joke, so thank you to everybody. for. I feel like that was a, that was a team effort. But back yeah, to the bells. Check that box, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my... my it's, it's funny when... This was not funny. It's not funny at all. But... Uh, I was getting really frustrated and like, ring the bells, just ring the fucking bells. And as soon as they rung them, it was so ominous that I was like, oh, fuck, no. Why? Because they're supposed to give you this feeling of uh, safety, right? And it was horrifying. I just like kept thinking of Baylor and like how I, I just had this like impending sense of Jews. Like, this isn't right. Something it's not right. It's bad. I thought that yeah. Cersei was going to well, they- wildfire it up. I like how they alluded to that kind of with all the exploding mm-hmm. wildfire. Not necessarily that she was planning, but just just a throwback. And they were playing snippets of the Light of the Seven, the song. Yeah. Um. So there was de- there were definite and just just the the cinematography of this episode. I mean, as a um, you know, as as somebody who who writes a lot of film and TV criticism, the sort of the 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 just sense of there's just so much out there, and a lot of it is is the same. That when it comes to just the second half of this episode, it always just warms my heart when you see something on TV that's so unlike anything else that's out there. Yeah. Just the whole, all the King's Landing sequences. You're just on the edge of your seat. Like, when's the last time a TV show shot like a sequence like this? And it was just, it was amazing. It's, uh, you know, it's always great when a show that's in its eighth season, we always talk about how shows you know shorter season shorter uh season numbers are good because what show is still firing on all cylinders eight seasons in and then you look at that sequence you're like holy shit that was just spectacular yeah and the I wildfire mean, whatever, was up yeah whatever I, kind of criticisms people might have about the story writing um or you know pacing or however much whatever criticism criticism you want to level about it you know it's it's sexist racist etc um not to not to set aside those those uh criticisms to the right uh, at all but my god what an amazingly shot episode um and directed like miguel sapochnik just killed it in this episode um from start to finish yeah he's it, a was, stud. it was it's just gorgeous. astonishing to watch um throughout and you know uh, there's you know shot after shot you know there's the one shot of like Sandor oh. and Gregor fighting on the <laughs> stairs and then Drogon goes flies overhead just sort of in the background 
Yeah, and was, you're just, you know, yeah. I've never seen anything like that. Um, and, you know, doubt I ever will. And it, it was just, just incredible um, to watch it play out. Uh, and, and just an astonishing visual from, like I said, from start to finish. I, and also I'll add, like, every yeah. actor performed <clears throat> it, freaking brought it, too. Like, they, it was, they, everybody was awesome in this episode. Especially Kyburn. <laughs> Kyburn, yes. <laughs> I just, you know, especially Euron and Kyburn for they they don't deserve to win like an MVP of season eight, but just in terms of like characters that I have had nothing but joy for, I I just I loved them both. You know, seeing Pacey Witter be they're easily like six men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seeing that beach scene where you had Pacey Witter and Dawson Leary just battling over Joey Potter, I thought was just spectacular. And even his his last line was kind of uh, a bit silly, but it's so Euron. Like it was it's just it was so in line. Yeah, it was. I was laughing. I I, it was awesome. I rewound it immediately, played it again, and I was just laughing my ass off. And I was like. God, I love that character. That's a guy that I could see more of. And Kyburn is just weird as shit. He makes his experiments. He rose up to be Hind. And I thought maybe that was uh, excessive, but he seemed to do a pretty good job. He had, um, you know, organized the defenses. They actually, I, I guess somebody pointed out how maybe Cersei wanted to evac- like bring people into the Red Keep to surround herself with civilians. At first, I read that I saw that, and I was like, "Oh, it's kind of nice that the Lannisters are trying to defend the city." But I guess maybe they had um, bad intent. I, I don't really know, and I liked that it kind of left it open to interpretation because that's their city too. I mean, they don't want Danny to take it; they want it to survive. So I thought that that kind of uh, that just the setup of the defenses and all of that was was cool, regardless of the fact that you know it all failed, but. Uh, in terms of like setting a scene, I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and Ramin with the soundtrack, I was dying through the entire episode. The Light of the Seven Reigns of Castamere, you know, like mashup was really effective. Yeah, that was cool. I agree. Yeah. I, I liked the... I don't... I didn't love Danny deciding to burn everything. But what I did like was, like, finally showing, like, oh, dragons <laughs> are fucking insane. You know, like, the, like, yeah, like exactly. where we've had in the last couple, last season, and, you know, it's, they've been taken down, or the other two at least have been taken down so easily. So, but to, like, just see Drogon, like, like annihilate an entire like it was you felt the power that having a dragon i i was always hoping to see and so it was, it, shocking. It was cool to see that it was it, uh, it also should we yeah. i mean or should we talk about how yeah. we feel about the turn <laughs> in general i mean or have we, have we hit that yeah yes yeah i uh and 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 for just just if you guys have things you want to talk about just just jump in i mean time flies so sure. no time to get to it like the present How'd you feel about the turn? I, I liked it. I thought it was so, uh, you know, uh, as a, as a very snobby book reader, um, you know, I think it, it is absolutely set up, um, repeatedly and in great depth, uh, in the books and the show hit a lot of those notes, yeah. you know, like Danny had Danny's arc is not about her 
her just, you know, being this sort of Christ-like figure that saves everyone without any, you know, uh, any collateral damage. It's very much about the collateral damage. And a lot of times it's about the intentional damage that she inflicts on her enemies. Um, you know, I, and so I, I was not surprised to see her sort of turn fully towards fire and blood, but I did wish that it, we had more time to set it up. Um, and so it might land a little bit better, but once it happened, I was like, yep, that makes all the sense in the world. Um, and you know, I talked to both of my partners who are, who are, you know, just show only watchers and they watch very closely because they know that my emotional needs are very wrapped up in the show. Um, and, and they support me very well, but what they, you know, I was like, well, how did it feel for you? And they both said, you know, it made a lot of sense. It, it, it felt real, um, what she did. So I, that moment really worked for me, I, you know, and it worked for me as a, as a book reader, I think, you know, for a lot of show only folks, it, it, it probably, it worked as well. I know that there are definitely some folks who, uh, it didn't land for them. And, and I understand that, but, uh, when it, once it happened, I was like, yep, it's on, it, it is on. And, we are in for a world of pain and that's what we got. I'm also a snotty show only person uh, until there it ends. Go. And I thought it worked as well. I've been, I've, I felt this coming, but also wondered if it was a red herring and it was Cersei that was going to do it. So it was sort of like, who is the person that is going to snap first? These are both women who have experienced a great deal of pain and trauma and loss. And it made sense to me that either of them would make a decision like this. With Danny, it's not only her, um, her inclination to get Bernie, but also the fact that she she regular, I mean, she said that she wanted to break the wheel, right? She doesn't want, uh, you know, she wants to break it. She wants to do this whole new thing that's, you know, whatever. But then she wants to rule essentially in the same way where she finds herself, um, you know, the throne is hers because of her uh, birthright. And so there's always been this kind of irony of like, I'm not the same as everyone else, but I am going about it in the same way. So it didn't feel surprising to me that she would also, you know, respect innocent lives and want to save people yet in the end feel this, this immense uh, kind of hatred and doom and, and go for it. Yeah. That also just makes sense. If you think about the method to which she was trying to, take the throne, which is essentially via the Westerosi version of mm -hmm. nuclear weapons. It's hard to have like a, a true democracy when somebody wields that kind of power. And, you know, Clint, I think it was in the preview podcast way back when, when the term balkanization first came up, it seems as though the show is kind of heading in that direction. And you can't get there if Daenerys fulfills her prophecy, I mean, or, or just, you know, takes the throne because it, it doesn't leave, you don't break the wheel by saying, okay, here's my birthright. I will be a good ruler now. It's just, you're just, it's just, it's corruptible. Yeah, I think that, and as uh, Alexandra said, I think it was last week or the week before, you know, there's no guarantee that um, what's, you know, let's say Danny's a great ruler and she's wonderful and the, the realm prospers and that she has a kid and yeah. that kid sucks uh, and is terrible. You know, that's yep. absolutely possible. And that that's the problem with a monarchical system 
um, and why, you know, I think once that happened, um, and once Danny turns, you know, I guess we'll see what happens next week, but I just don't see any way the seven kingdoms remain together, honestly, after that. Um, right. Because I, I mean, I think the end game is going to pit the North, whether it's John or Arya or both against, um, Danny, uh, and however that, that confrontation ends up that rift between the North and the Targaryens, which obviously existed, you know, 20 years ago, uh, during Robert's rebellion or 15, depending on whether you want to go versus show, um, is going to be full force yet again. And, um, here we are back on that wheel that Danny tried so desperately to break. Um, I just don't see how, how it happens again, that we have a United Seven Kingdoms. They're absolutely going to devolve into separate states. I, I, I would bet uh, quite a bit. I also money. loved what Me- yeah. in the, I usually don't watch the after the episode bits, but I did since I saw a bunch of complaints about it this week. But I liked what Miguel Spachnik said about, you know, her doing it too, right? Like they surrender, they ring the bells, but it wasn't satisfying. And it wasn't satisfying like she thought it would be because she's been dreaming right. of this for so long of of taking it back um, and that also being a factor into her decision. Yeah, I, I, I think to echo a little bit of what Clint said, I did like it. It, it has felt inevitable. Uh, like I'm very much on board for Daenerys uh, adding some. Uh, for like being able to look back on Daenerys arc and be like, Oh, this actually isn't what we thought it was at all. Like, I, I love that twist. Um, I do wish that like, if I'm ever going to talk about wishing that there was one more episode, it would have been in between these two, um, just yeah, to get a yep. little bit more inside sure. her head. Um, it, it would have been great. Um, or even I, I had this thought earlier, just like to me, what would have made this, a hundred percent I'm on board with what they're doing instead of just whatever big percentage I am now. Like if the city, if the bells had started to ring and she had gotten on the back of the dragon and started to like try and address a big crowd of landing people who turned on her, right. And started throwing crap at her. Like they've thrown at every other ruler hmm. in the series so far. Interesting. Then it like, it would have really sold to me that Daenerys is like, you know, screw these. You know, like I like as of this point in time, she has no way to have an opinion of King's Landing citizens. So to go just totally torch them was a little bit much for me. But then to say, like, if she had just been like, you know what? Okay, I tried. Fuck it. And then burn all of them. That would have totally sold it for me. I agree with that. I think that that would be. Uh, that would have been excellent. The only time, and I, you know, you and I, Tom and I were talking about this earlier. Um, I think the only time I was thinking about that she had interacted with, you know, say a common Westerosi citizen um, was when she was basically getting to Winterfell. Right. And people were looking at her weird, you know, um, and, right. and I don't right. think that she had any, any other interactions with them. And so for her, I mean, she's right that, you know, Westeros loves John more, um, but it would have landed that line, I think, would have had more gravitas, more weight if she had, you know, tried to like win the hearts and minds uh, and failed because, you know, for whatever reason. Um, but she she didn't really or we didn't see her do that. 
Um, and so I, I, I totally agree with you, Tom. I think one, once I heard that criticism, I think that, that, that really resonates for me. I also think it's important to note like what level of grief she's currently, you know, experiencing. I think in the past when she had sure. support, um, that may have been something that she would have tried to do, but you know, all of, all of this just happened. She's gone through some really immense loss in the last two weeks. You know? Uh, so I, I kind of understand in a way where I, I also don't think that this decision negates the good that she's done or the good that she's inspired. I mean, this was clearly a, you know, it's an, it was essentially an act of terrorism. It was wild, but you know, I, I, I still don't think that there's a black and white of good and bad characters on this show. I think that they're really complex aside from Marin Trant, who is evil and can go fuck himself. <laughs> and Jorah. And Davos. Davos is purely, uh, purely good. Who can go fuck himself. Oh, wait. Yeah. Uh, it, the Daenerys perspective was really interesting when she talked about how the citizens of Marine had risen up. That's and a good overthrown point. their rulers, and so like to to like to be so limited as to be like be one to oneing every situation, uh, like every political situation that you walk into in the world is uh, is pretty uh, just kind of an interesting place to be at as a political leader. You know, um, yeah. I thought that was a really interesting bit of dialogue that they included. I've been trying to find a way to blame her burning the city on Ser Jorah. And, uh, well, if, <laughs> if he hadn't got himself killed. If, yeah. But, yep. Right. If he didn't die. He could have been, she could have just taken all her rage out on That's him right. and burned him also. That's right. And maybe Varys would still be alive. It it really, it, it does seem like, you know, you don't want to say that uh, correlation and causation, but uh, Jorah dies, city burned. <laughs> it's got QED. a you know QED. it's a one-to-one correlation it's, it's, if he had been around to be burned happen. a lot it's, of innocence would i would have rather watched him burn i don't want to say that he could have stopped her because i he he sucks but um he could have been there to take the hit instead but naturally he picked the most <laughs> inopportune time to die I, I i really i hope that davos survives the series because i i love him Probably more than any other character, he seems. Uh, it, it seems the 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 scene of John going through the city with essentially like Davos at his side. I mean, the Grey Worm was around for a lot of it, but just the it. I, I would have, you know, I keep thinking of like Mage Mormont or uh, Barbary Dustin or just some of the uh, Horsebane Umber. A uh, lot of lot of Northerners that I just would have loved to have seen there, and I get that the show already has kind of a lot of time crunch, but um, just just to going through the city, it John's whole place in this episode. Uh, we haven't we haven't really talked about him. It, it's it's just it, it, it's interesting how sort of disconnected he felt from like the main action, other than the trying to. Sort, I yeah. agree. As the world's biggest Jon Snow fan, Sam, what did you think of Jon's uh, interactions in this episode? You know, (laughs) I cried a lot throughout the episode just thinking about like nothing. I mean, it would it was awful. Right. But I kept thinking about (laughs) Jon 
what he's currently thinking and feeling and what decisions he's going to have to make in the next episode. And my heart was absolutely breaking. Um, there were, it was very Ned referential, right? That sort of surreal wander yep. and seeing the horror that was happening around him, trying to stop, you know, the unsullied from fighting the, the folks yeah. who had thrown their swords down and, and killing one of his own men for attempting to rape, you know, an innocent woman. Like there was so much and John hates war. He hates fighting. He hates all of this, that it, it's so, it's so heartbreaking to watch and know how good he is and how difficult of a time he's going to have to process this afterwards. So, yeah, I, I heard people were talking about the parallels uh, between John and Ned, um, you know, Ned entering the city of King's Landing during the Lannister sack and then John entering the city of King's Landing during the sack, the Stark mm. Garion sack, essentially. Um, and, you know, what they must have felt. And we know that Ned, his entire raison d'etre was to protect children. That's what he cared about so much, um, such that he, you know, uh, it, it was what motivated him to keep the secret, to um, break with Robert, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, John saw all those children die. Um, he also saw you know, people die. Um, but it, that that parallel broke my heart. Um, and I, I don't know how he's going to react tomorrow or tomorrow <laughs> next week. Uh, uh, other yeah. than I, I can only imagine it is show tomorrow, right? It will be very similar to <laughs> how Ned reacted when show tomorrow. the bodies of, uh, Rainus and Aegon were placed at the, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm afraid steps of the iron throne. He's gonna uh he's gonna ask Danny to make Grey Worm take the black. She's gonna refuse and then <laughs> I don't know, maybe. Grey Worm yeah. is going to have an affair with his sister who he doesn't have. Exactly right. Yep. Yeah, that's I'm the- I'm very afraid that John is gonna have to kill Danny, which is really, really awful for me to consider because I know that he loves her and he's seen, you know, she has a good heart. She does just as he does. And they're very similar in so many ways. And it's, it's really, really painful for me to think of, but he also is a person who is compelled to consistently do what is right. And I don't think he realized that she had this in her, the capacity to inflict this sort of damage on so many innocent people. So it's, well, I think we we all kind of have that one friend who has you know the night out night out on the town who Started maybe drank fight, too much a and like, kicked like a that, side yeah. mirror or something, and they fucked up. In other words, and yes. yeah, yeah. When Daenerys's best yeah. friends die, she gets really weird. Yeah, you guys. yeah. So I mean, if I if I, mean, I were John, I, I would say you know we all have those days when we you know we're just angry and we want to just take it out all, all out on the world. And I forgive you, Danny. No biggie, you know. And then they they all live happily ever after. Do you think that's gonna? Hey, and I no. think that's it. Yeah. <laughs> no. While you were having that conversation, I had a a new vision for how I want everything to end. Has everyone here seen? I'm not going to spoil it. But has everyone seen I'm, Endgame? I'm literally going no, to sleep tonight. 
But <laughs> yeah, Clint hadn't seen it. Last oh my week. god! I'm glad to see it tonight, but I can close my ears. It's fine. well then. Never, never mind. Okay, so when you well, just when you see it, the last scene of Endgame, I I want to be replicated with Davos and his wife. That's all I'm going to say. Think about that now okay. as you're watching Endgame. Hmm. That's how I want Game of Thrones to end. I, I understand what you're saying. Is it like he wakes up and, thank you, and thank you, yeah. remembers, oh shit, I have a wife. And it's like 1980. Like, I forgot about yeah, it. He's in the diner with the onion rings and yeah. don't stop believing it's funny. Yeah. Um, Diners, Dungeons, and Dragons, and Diners. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it, uh, can, can, we, can we take a moment to talk about what was the most emotionally affecting scene for Ooh. me? I, I got an idea. Go ahead. Is the I know that you already yes. know what it is, but it was Arya's goodbye to one of her fathers. Yep. The Aww. only chance that she's had in this series to say goodbye to one of her adoptive fathers. And the very first time that she calls him Sandor. And I have been on and off crying about it all day in public. Oh, when she called him Sandor, I, I really that, lost that it. That was very good. It was beautiful. Yeah. Uh, it was beautiful. I loved, I loved everything that had to do with my favorite child, Arya Stark. Today, she <laughs> or, or in this week's episode, days just blend together for me today. Um, but uh, yeah, that interaction with with Sandor—it's the first time um, that she has really gotten the opportunity for revenge, been presented you know, uh, an opportunity for revenge, which has been, you know, such a motivating factor for her since the very beginning of the series. Um, and she chose life instead of revenge. Um, Again. uh, Yeah. Which, which is just such a wonderful like character arc for her. Um, and you know, her getting out of the, uh, crumbling red keep was just, uh, it was a huge like sigh of relief, even as Sandor went up to, uh, confront Gregor and meet his death. Um, I thought it was just really incredible. Um, and I, w- I was like cheering at that point. Yeah. I was sobbing. <laughs> yeah. I wish that Sandor had taken the advice he gave to her and chosen life. I, I mentioned it on Twitter, but uh, if you're a listener of the podcast, the episode that I did with uh, Chloe of girls gone canon, the women of ice and a uh, song of ice and fire, uh, we did talk about Sandor briefly, who's not a woman, but uh, he, she, she said that she really wanted Clegane Bowl to not be about revenge, but Sandor putting his brother, who's not really at this point. I, I know that this episode really established that uh, he does have some memory and he was going to go fight her, uh, fight him. He defied Cersei, but... Um, just just in terms of narrative closure for the Hound to be able to let go of, of that lifelong grudge mm-hmm. would have... I, I would have loved if Arya and he left, met Gendry on Storm's End, and lived happily ever after doing, like, farming or maybe even, like, a throwback to when right before the Hound met up with uh, Beric and Thoros. I thought that could have been powerful. Not that... I mean, Clegane Bowl... Uh, I... I I mean, does anybody here, was anybody here just like chomping at the teeth for, for Clegane Bowl? for the reason that I, I know think a lot of people the internet have. was. I mean, I think that yeah. Yeah. Sandor okay. is one of right. my favorite characters in the show. And 
it, this was something that was like all consuming for him. Right. He cared about, he in life cares about chicken and, you know, good, a good drink. And, uh, this, uh, the Stark girls and, and killing his fucking brother. <laughs> that is really it. And I, that's what he was telling Arya in that moment, like with his hand gently on the back of her head, like cradling her and telling her, like, if you don't let this go, you're going to turn into me. Do you want that? Because he loves the Stark girls as much as he could love anything, you know, more than he loves himself, I think. But I think that he recognizes that he's far, he's too far gone. That's, that's his all encompassing thought, but wanting, wanting Arya to get, get out before it's too late. is huge. My favorite part about clicking bolt was <laughs> Cersei just kind of yeah. like stepping her way down the stairs. Right? Yeah, that it's was like, great. I'm going to get out of this real quick. That was, I, it was like, yeah, she, she was trying to sneak out of work early, you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, she's like, yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm just going to go to my car for something real quick. I'll, I'll, I'll be back. <laughs> it was really good. But wouldn't you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was... You've been out of there. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think it was it was more satisfying. I, I really wish the Clegane Bowl wasn't, wouldn't happen. I hope it doesn't happen in the books. Uh, we got Clegane. I knew we were going to get Clegane Bowl, and... I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I love Sandor Clegane. I, he's a, such a nuanced character. I think that's why a lot of people objected to the way he talked to Sansa last episode, because that wasn't really the Sandor that we know, who really does have like a heart of gold and just wants to have a good drink and a nice piece of chicken. And, uh, you know, I, I it was it was a it was a beautifully shot scene. So, and I, I guess it's it's difficult at that point there were so many sort of deaths sequentially it was it, it was all i guess a lot to take in it's something that i think people will have different opinions of later with multiple rewatches but just like the the jamie cersei scene was just so powerful also the just we're doomed but we're doomed together type thing and i'm glad that the rocks were what killed her because i didn't it would have looked i I, the show's killed pregnant people in the past but for aria to have carried out that hit i think would have been uh not not particularly satisfying so better let just a pile of rocks kill her than i mean danny killed her by proxy danny and and drogon true that's true i guess the the sort of the visceral imagery i mean that's why the red wedding and thus sansa killed them by proxy (laughs) Oh God. That, yeah, According that's a Dan. good point. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> it the Red Wedding, I think, still sort of uh, goes down in TV history as one of the more gruesome and just gut wrenching scenes in television. And this this was a bit more I, it feels weird to say the term. This was a bit more romantic, but it almost felt that way. Sort of calming. I don't know. What? Uh, Jamie and Cersei. Right. Yeah, I kind of felt like, like Sandor and and Gregor's end was a bit romantic as well, <laughs> not in yeah, a sexual way, that. but in a, a story romantic kind of way. Yeah, the most impactful death for me of, of the whole episode was actually the the yeah. random woman that oh, was Ar- awful. child that Arya was with. Yeah, that was that was like oh god, don't do it, don't do. It. Oh god, they did yeah, it. yeah. Poor Arya. 
I did want to ask uh, for folks who really like Jamie, <laughs> Tom, um, or, or or like emotionally invested in that <laughs> in either Jamie or, or Cersei as a character, because I am not really. Um, and I, my first reaction at seeing their death was kind of like, eh, you know, I, I don't know. It, it didn't land for me in a way that I, I, I wanted it to. Was Was that the reaction of, of folks who are emotionally invested in those characters. It, that was, it was my reaction to the scene. My reaction to Jamie dying with Cersei in their effed up way in this relation, you know, like that they had to die with each other. Like, I think there is a certain kind of like, like Sam was saying, like narrative romance to that. Um, so I got that. And I, I liked that part. And I liked showing that Jamie is like, um, you know, you're, you're up and down. You're in a roller coaster arc of, of redemption, right? It's not a binary thing. Um, but that, the actual scene was a little bit like, they just so happened to have all the tunnels closed, but you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I, I, I kind of wanted it to be a little bit more random like that as they were just running out and like that they would have like that they wouldn't have gotten that moment because that would have been impactful. But I, but when they did get the moment, I thought it was good. I loved it. I think that I, I would have been upset if it were more random because I loved that in the end they showed Cersei for what she really was, which was afraid and vulnerable. And she's always been that. But people are so quick to like, Cersei is crazy. She's just like this evil bitch. And she's not. She's hurt and she's afraid and she's, you know, weak and she acts on impulse and, and out of fear rather than, you know, out of, out of this well thought scheming, which is exactly what Danny did, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that they showed that as her last moments to show that, yeah, of course, like she's, she's a human being. She had fears. She, she was afraid and all she wanted was to be with this person that she loved. I agree. I I really liked the way it, for something that's been built up for as long as it has literally like since, since the first couple of episodes, there's just, uh, it's so hard to deliver on something like that. And I think, I think the way they handled it was, it was nice. I, I Cersei's always been one of my favorites. Uh, I love, I love her. Uh, I love her and all her emotions. She's such a just real character. She's she's not just uh, she's so strong willed, but also very mm-hmm. vulnerable. And to to see that there was uh, rewarding. I, I think it did it did Cersei justice. She's a she she's a people especially with Cersei and with Danny they can get a little sexist in yep. there you know crazy mm-hmm. you know just hurl hurl names at her um this is a real person who's afraid and she's well she's a fictional character but she's a real three-dimensional uh rich character and it was just it was it was I thought very beautifully handled with the music and just the Jamie looking at all the different corners and realizing like, yeah, we're fucked. We're not getting out of this. And just the way they let it unfold among two actors who have been have so much great chemistry. It was, it was great. Oh yeah. Everyone crushed this episode. They definitely acted the hell out of it. It was great. It was amazing. Yep. Uh, Should we, 
Should we move into final thoughts? Is everybody? That's all it. right. Who wants to go first? Sam, obviously. Wants to go first. <laughs> I can go first. Okay. Um, Do you want to rant? I, real quick? I haven't cried yet. I, I, I got really choked up when I was talking about Arya and Sandor. I was, yeah, you, you, you guys, yeah. you almost got it. Uh, <laughs> I quieted myself <laughs> for a moment to uh, calm down. Um, I think that the most frustrating thing this season has been, of course, the discourse and how much people have disliked each episode. Were there any aspects of plot <laughs> moving forward? And I understand some of it, but it's, I I went into this episode already kind of hyped. I had the the pleasure of going to the episode three premiere with a bunch of folks who made it and got to meet Miguel Spochnik. And this was the episode where like every everybody was talking about episode five. Everybody was saying, you know, I can't wait for episode five. I'm so curious about episode five more than episode three. Like episode three just ended and everybody was like, can't wait to see what people think. Um, and I... I went into it hyped and I wasn't disappointed. I thought that the emotional aspects were there. I wasn't frustrated by a lot of the things that people were frustrated by. I thought it was horrific, um, but I thought it was a really effective episode. And I'm terrified and curious to see what they're going to do with the next hour and a half and be able to wrap it up. It's it's really upsetting and and uh, scary that this thing is coming to an end, but I'm I'm welcoming it with sad open arms so yeah um i can go next i i already like this episode more you know almost 24 hours later than i did at the time like as an episode of television it was really great singular episode of television it was so well shot and so well acted um any little minor heartburn that i have is related to to kind of plot arc narrative arc as a whole but as a single singular episode, it, it was just it was really well done. Um, the the thing that I'll leave with is uh, was something that I didn't notice, but that our friends uh, Kim Renfro and Lindsay Romaine both I think have articles about, um, which is Arya leaving mm-hmm. on her uh, pale horse, right? Which uh, to which they both wrote about how that's a. a allusion to the book of revelation and you know if you're going to have a biblical scholar (laughs) on your podcast you may as well let them talk about the book of revelation um and what's what's really interesting about that is you know that 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 is the line the horseman of the apocalypse that's a part of the book that everybody knows but it it's also part of it is about how uh that isn't ultimately what works right what what works to redeem humanity in this book is is sacrifice and mercy and love and so if if the book of revelation was something that they looked at here for for art and plotting it'll be interesting if they just pulled out the imagery of the pale horse of death or if somehow like they will tap into the themes that sacrifice and mercy are the things that actually redeem people as opposed to death and and pestilence and that kind of stuff oh that's fantastic so i'm looking forward to seeing Um, that next episode yeah i i also thought that this episode was uh superlative uh from a visual standpoint from a execution standpoint i thought it was you know absolutely just uh, a, a wonderful piece of of art um 
I have nits that I can pick um, and will pick, uh, and I've mentioned them, uh, I think all of them here today, but overall, I really liked it. I thought that it was, um, you know, astonishing in a way that uh, I was not expecting after last week's episode, which I, which I didn't particularly like uh, or enjoy um, in the way that uh, I enjoyed this and the way that I've enjoyed the rest of the season. So, um, I was just, you know, stunned, uh, and, you know, thrilled in a visceral way. Um, I, uh, I like the Danny turn. I think that that is likely going to be straight from the books. I, I, that has George's fingerprints all over it. Um, it's in my view, something that he almost certainly told Dan and Dave would happen. Um, and so I, you know, I appreciated seeing it on the screen, uh, Amelia Clark just did a phenomenal job uh, expressing her emotions and, and, you know, being that dragon um, that uh, her brother had talked about all those years ago. Um, and so I am really excited for next week. I, you know, of course am extremely anxious about uh, whether Aria will survive. I have already called my therapist a couple of times about it, sent her a couple of emails. She's told me to stop. But I'm 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 still very anxious about it. Um, so uh, we'll see we'll see what happens. Um, but I, I am I'm really looking forward to uh, what I think is going to be a really powerful finale. Uh, the one thing that I haven't talked about that excited me was the notion that seeing Tyrion sort of wandering around by himself during the battle gave me a lot of uh, throwbacks to uh, I'm a big War and Peace buff. I just the Ooh, Battle of Borodino. Yeah, the Battle of Borodino with Pierre just wandering around. Tyrion and Pierre have a lot of parallels as characters. They're both intellectual. They're not fighters, but uh seeing him sort of just wandering around not quite I, I guess aimlessly is probably mildly accurate, but just sort of lost and uh, sad and all of that was right. uh, very powerful acting from a guy who's not going to go around throwing spears at people. It resonated with me a lot just to see. I mean, we're, 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 there's one more episode of, of this big thing that I know That's this wild. is the only, well, I have some bad news because uh, Alexandra, who was mentioned earlier, um, the reason she's not on is she her podcast was disappeared in the snap that happened this week. Oh, so this is the only yeah. this is the only Game of Thrones podcast that's left. Um, so we have a lot of responsibility on our shoulders, our collective shoulders. <laughs> limp, limp to the finale. Um, <laughs> but but two of us will not be here next week. It's it's sorry. It's true. Um, and and just thinking of the fandom, you know, all the people who care who who. This this whole this whole epic journey, just kind of thinking thinking about how this is the penultimate episode of one of the biggest pop culture phenomenons ever. Uh, it's wild, and it's wild to be a week, uh, you know, less than a week away. And for all for all the, you know, I, I agree with Sam. There's been a lot of discourse of just kind of ridiculous. I I really loved the episode. I thought it worked well. Obviously, there's, you know, time crunch problems, but there's going to be time crunch problems. TV, you know, 10, 10 episodes would be really great, but, you know, it'd be even better if they did like, you know, a 26 part and split it up into two <laughs> and did the, the final season that way. I mean, you could just go on and on and on. I think 
the way that they handled it, uh, I, I really liked it. And I, I liked the way this episode turned out. I'm really excited for next week. And it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe that there will be a time when on a, you know, uh, where, where people don't gather because, you know, we're not going to do any more episodes and we're the only one left, the only podcast left. So it'll be <laughs> uh, interesting just to see it all end. Uh, and, you know, that, that I, I'm just excited. I, I, I've, I've loved this journey. And it's it's just real. It's I don't think people have taken in that this is all coming to an end. I mean, maybe people I'm not have. Ready. Well, well, no, Sam probably um, uh, has a lot of uh, yeah emotions about it. It it, it to end on that. I I just I I keep reflecting all the people who have all the criticism about the show. Yeah, sure, a lot of that's valid. But at the end of the day, I was at the edge of my seat. It's why it's why we love this medium. It's why we love TV. It's why we love these. It's why we love the the storytelling in this huge world. It it you know sure it's going to have its issues, but that's the why we're here to talk about it. And uh, I want to thank everybody for coming on. This is a great episode. It's it's again still wild to think that there's only uh, you know one more episode of this. But uh, want to go around and tell everybody where we can find you one more time. Uh, sure. Uh, I'm Clint. You can find me at lawsoficeandfire.com or on Westeros Law on Twitter and. or Clint W on Twitter. And I am Thomas. Oh, man. <laughs> Did it again. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm Sam. Uh, you can find me on Instagram <laughs> at kind of cool sometimes or on Twitter at kind of underscore cool. And then once the show ends, I'll also have a podcast, the only other podcast, there will just be two, uh, called cry wolf. That'll be really fun. That's good. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully Thanos doesn't find out. We could, we could be next. Uh, and, and I'm Thomas and you can find me at, uh, T H A N K I N 41 on Twitter. T Hankin 41. Awesome. Well, to everybody listening, uh, I hope you had as much fun as we did with the episode and, uh, with the recaps and, uh, See you all next week. One more. Wow. Hard to believe. But thank you so much to everybody for uh, taking this journey with us. And uh, we'll see you next time. 